0: There's a book that came out um, a few years back that I read, and it made, was made into a movie last year, <clears throat> and um, it's called The Shack. I don't know if you guys have ever read The Shack or not. Now listen, The Shack is not the Bible. It's a book, all right? So a lot of people kind of nutted up on The Shack being, all oh, this and all that. Listen, it's a book. It's entertainment. There were some aspects of it that were not necessarily theologically correct, but There was a lot of aspects of it that were. And so the story of the shack is is an interesting one because the main character in the shack had a very confused view of who God was. Uh, He had a very confused view. And later on in the book, you kind of find out, and in the movie as well, you find out why he had a confused view, and he had the confused view basically because of his own father and some of the abuse that had happened with his own father and, and some of the behaviors that had happened with his own father, and uh, I'm not going to give it away if you had not read it or saw it, but, but it was a pretty dramatic thing because the view that the main character had of God was incorrect. And the story goes that he goes to this shack after losing his daughter. He goes to the shack, and over a weekend, he finds out that the view that he had of God was not who God really is. I have a feeling that for us here today, the view of, of who God is and the, the thoughts that we have about God, for some of us probably, is not necessarily. Correct. And so today I want to talk about that. I want to talk about Galatians chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. We've been going through the book of Galatians... We've been going through the book, and Galatians basically says this. It's Jesus plus nothing equals everything. You don't have to add anything to the gospel. You don't have to add anything to the story. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to perform. You don't have to do all these things. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. As a matter of fact, in the text, we've seen that when you try and add things to, when you try and add things to the, the, what God wants you to do, Paul says that when you do that, You don't need God at all. You take away the need for Christ. Basically, Paul's saying this. Christ came and died for you, and he came to do that to set you free. And when you try to perform and you try to do things for God in order to get his favor, you are nullifying what it is that Christ came to do to begin with. Because when he died on the cross and when you accepted him, you already had God's favor. At that moment, you have his favor. And so that's what we're going to look at today. Galatians chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. Here's what it says. I think Lynn's going to bring that up for you. It says, so Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free. Let's stop right there. Christ has set you free. Now make sure you stay free. Now immediately, you're going to see something here. And let me tell you what you're going to see. The fact that he would say... Christ has set us free, so make sure you stay free, means that you have the ability and that I have the ability, even after we've experienced God and all of his freedom, you and I have the ability to go back into the same things that we had done before. We know Peter did this whenever he was, he was fishing, He was a fisherman. Jesus found him on the lake. Listen, Peter was a reject. That's what he was. He was rejected by the religious establishment. They didn't want him to be a rabbi. They didn't want him. He went back and worked with his dad. And so when Jesus came by and pulled Peter off that boat and said, follow me, from that point, he became a follower of Christ. He became free in Christ. But what did Peter do the moment that Jesus left and died? Guess what he did? He went right back to the water. He went right back to the boat. He went right back to doing what he was doing before. And that's what we often do. Oftentimes what we do is is we will go back to doing what we have done before. And all we know, once we've experienced freedom... And we felt uncomfortable with that freedom. We go back to doing the same thing. We go back in those same patterns we've always done. And so so Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in the slavery of the law. Let's go on to the next one. It says, listen, I, Paul, tell you this. If you're counting on circumcision to make you right with God, and this is what I just told you, then Christ will be of no benefit To you, when he says circumcision, he's meaning a physical act of circumcision, but he's also meaning if you are counting on yourself and things that you can do to make yourself acceptable to God, then Christ will be of no benefit to you. I'll say it again. If you were trying to find favor with God by being circumcised, and one of the things I put in my Bible is following rules, You must obey every regulation in the whole law of Moses, for if you are trying to make yourself right with God by keeping the law, you have been cut off from Christ. You have fallen away from God's grace. And you may be thinking, well, I know, but what does this have to do with how I view God? Well, it has everything to do with how you view God. It has everything to do with how you view God and how I view God. Because here's what it really comes down to. In our lives, we are approached with and we have choices that we have to make. We have decisions that we have to make and most of us, most of us make those decisions off of things that we already believe about a situation. All right, I don't want you to miss that. Most of us make decisions, we make those decisions based off of things that we already have a preconceived notion about. For instance, you may walk into a store And you may see a Georgia shirt on a rack and a Tennessee shirt on a rack. You may immediately go to the Georgia shirt. The reason why you would do that is because you and I both know Tennessee stinks. And who wants to wear an orange shirt anyway? Especially when you're fair complexioned like me. It's a difficult situation my whole life, but I'm dealing with it. Who wants to do that? What is that? That's a preconceived notion. It's a preconceived notion. Many of you walked right in here this this morning. You walked in here this morning. You had all kinds of preconceived notions. You have preconceived notions about the church. You have preconceived notions about what the worship was gonna be like, what the speaker was gonna be like. You have some preconceived notions. We all have that. Here's what I want you to know. If your view of God is not the biblical view or the true view of God, you will never be able to experience the freedom that God has for you. I want you to hear that. If your view of God, if you're, and that may be something you want to write down, if your view of God is not the right view or the biblical view of God, you will never experience the freedom that Paul is talking about in Galatians. Because you will act in a way, if you have preconceived notions about how God is that are incorrect, you will act in a way and do in a way and you will never stop trying to earn God's favor by your behavior. You just won't. And that's what he's talking about here. I want to tell you about some choices today. And I want to start with this. Do you view God or do you view your Christian walk as a burden or joy? That's my first question. Is it a burden? Or is it joyful? Now listen. When I was growing up, here's what I heard about all the time. I heard this all the time. We need to sacrifice for God, all right? Now, I did that. I did that. I had probably $500 worth of cassette tapes in my car, all right? I've told you some of you guys a story before with my Blah Punk stereo, and I sacrificed for God. I took every one of those tapes. I'm talking about, man, Millie Vanilli. Deaf Leopard Hysteria. Don't judge me, Millie Vanilla. You listened to them too. They were number one. I wasn't the only one listening, all right? Deaf Leopard Hysteria, Ario Speedwagon, you know. I mean, I was jamming. I'm gonna keep on loving you. You know that song? You could have seen by the look in my eyes, baby, there was something missing. You know that? I was jamming. I had a thousand dollar car and a three thousand dollar stereo system. Everybody with me? I'm not kidding you. That's the truth. That's the truth. I did. I sure did. And I was jamming, but I sacrificed for God because this whole Christian walk was supposed to be difficult. That's what I was told. Hey, listen, it's supposed to be difficult. You're supposed to sacrifice for God. You're supposed to sacrifice for God. That's what I was told growing up when I was 18, 19 years old. And so I sacrificed. I know where the dumpster is. Even today in Jackson, Tennessee, I know exactly where the dumpster is that I threw my cassette tapes in. I did because I had somebody tell me that I need to give up all that in order to follow Jesus. That's what they told me. And I dumped all those cassette tapes in and I started listening to Michael W. Smith and Sandy Patty. And I was miserable (laughs) because I didn't like Michael W. Smith. His voice, he, he sang like this and Sandy Patty sang operatic. I longed for Def Leppard And hysteria. But I was doing what God wanted me to do because it was a sacrifice. And it was a burden. And some way I felt more holy. But can I tell you something? None of that brought me closer to Jesus. It didn't. I didn't feel closer to Jesus. I didn't at all. I didn't. You know why? Because the exterior changed, but the interior did not. It didn't. People have always said, you need to be miserable. You know, you know, they don't say miserable. They need to say they use, see, in church we use code words. Miserable equals you need to sacrifice for Jesus. And maybe you do need to, I don't know, maybe you do need to sacrifice for Jesus. I'm just not sure Jesus would listen to Sandy Patty. I just I think he and I would agree on that, man. You know what I mean? I do. If you like Sandy Patty, we'll talk afterwards. I just, I don't think that. I just, I believe, I believe that he was a little more plugged in. I'll never forget this. I'll tell you when it changed. It was like a light come on for me. I went with a girl to a, a passion. It was a passion uh, performance of the Passion of Christ. It was indoors. It was one of the, it is the largest church in Tennessee, all right. It's where Adrian Rogers was the pastor in Memphis. It's called Bellevue Baptist in Memphis. We call it Fort God on the left-hand side of the road. It looks like a city. They have a 1,000-seat amphitheater that they do for weddings only. They have a wedding staff 24 hours, seven days a week. That's, that's the truth. They do. They have a wedding staff, coordination and staff. They have three different chapels you can do weddings in. The youth area is about 2,000, 2,500 strong. All right. That's the building they have. The building looks like a huge amphitheater. But I went to this Passion. They have live camels and donkeys and chickens and everything come through the church for the Passion. They did. And when you're like 22, I guess I was 20. I was 20 years old. You're 20 years old. I'm I'm driving down to Memphis, going to meet this girl. All right. She was much uglier than Wendy. So uh, anyway, I just want to get that in. Um, Then my wife... um, I'm driving down there, and I, I, I'm listening to Sandy Patty. You know what I mean? Miserable. <laughs> um, and so I, I pulled up. We went inside, and I was like blown away by how big this place was. Like this is massive. Now I know why they call it Fort God. And and we we sat down. I'll never forget this. There was all these, you know, whenever Jesus came in to the city and there were all these different, he was riding on a donkey, by the way, all these different chickens. And I was like, there are chickens in the church. I couldn't even bring a Coke in the church. I got yelled at by an elder for bringing a Coca-Cola. You'll mess up the carpet. I'm like it's green. You can't mess up green carpet. So if you got green carpet, sorry, but it's ugly. Anyway, but but it really yeah. Why would you have green carpet anyway? So um, I uh, now that I've offended everybody, I uh, I was so blown away by this, and then it happened, and my and literally, I'm I'm not kidding you. It all turned on. They showed a scene from a celeb from a party. They had a scene of a party. And Jesus walked over. He was was interacting with people. And Jesus started to dance at the party and having fun with people and interacting with people. And that wasn't the God or the Jesus that I had ever been told about. See, the Jesus I have been told about was looking from on high, and he was constantly doing a checklist of me of what I've done right or wrong, and like if he heard me humming, you know, pour some sugar on me. That's wrong. That's wrong. You know, it's wrong. That's all I heard. That's who, that's who I thought he was. And I'll never forget it because the whole play was incredible. But I could not get out of my mind Jesus dancing at a party. And I realized at that point that God does care about our sacrifice. He does care about our obedience. He does. Just like we care about our kids' obedience. But he cares more about our joy. He cares more about our joy. And here's something I want to tell you, too, all right? Because what we as Christians do is we often split hairs because we're like, hey, listen, Jesus cares about your joy, not your happiness. Can I tell you guys something? That's stupid. Listen, you're a parent. Do you care about your kid's joy? Yes. Do you care about your kid's happiness? Yes, you do. And can I tell you guys something? Jesus cares about your happiness too. He wants both. He wants you to be joyful and he wants you to be happy. That's what he wants. That's why the scripture says that he gives us good things. That's why he says in John 10, I came to give you life and I came to give you life that's more abundant. More abundant than what? Can I tell you, more abundant than all these other people you see walking around trying to make life out of stuff that's empty. That's who our God is. How do you view him? Is your walk a burden or is it joyful? I want to tell you something. Your life with Jesus shouldn't be something that puts an extra burden on you. It shouldn't be something that's an extra burden. It should be something that makes you free. It should be something that makes you free. It's so interesting. There's a story in the Old Testament, and this is really funny. I first read the book of Job, not in, not in, in, a, in a church. I read it in an English class my first year of college uh, English, English 101 or whatever they call it. And so the teacher said, Everyone needs to read the book of Job, and we will discuss it on Tuesday. I couldn't find the book of Job. I did find the book of Job. Are you with me? God is my witness. And she had to know I was an idiot because I was like, I didn't find the book. She said, can you come here a second? She goes, yes. I said, I didn't find the book of Job, but I found the book of Job. Is that the same thing? And she said, yes, yes, sweetie. She called me sweetie. In the South, if you're called sweetie, it means idiot. All right. (laughs) Yes, sweetie. Yes, 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 idiot. Yes, sweetie. Yes, sweetie. So I did. I read the book of Job and I read about Job and how he was a godly man and he was happy and he had this family. And God said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? And Satan comes down and he does everything but kill him. And what we see is, is we see at the end of the book of God saying, listen, Job, were you there? Were you there when this happened? Were you there when that happened? Where were you when I laid the foundations? Where were you when I... He starts asking him all these things. And then you would miss this. Don't miss this. At the end of the book, God the Father, the Father who loves his son Job, God the Father did something amazing. He gave Job double of what he had before. Are you with me? He gave him, it says, in fact, the Lord gave him twice as much as before. Why? Because Job did the right thing? No, Job didn't necessarily do the right thing. Job Job questioned God, got angry, wanted to just die. Can I tell you why he gave him twice? Because he loves him. And he doesn't want our walk with him to be a burden. He wants it to be a joy. He wants you to be happy and to have joy. That's what he wants. He wants you to have joy. That's the God that we serve how many, let me ask you a question. How many times, how many times have you ever, how many times have you ever seen someone and said this, said, you know what? Those people over there look miserable. And I know they go to church. I want to be just like them. <laughs> Who says that? Think logically about it. Who says that? You know, those people, they have a horrible life. And they have, you know, and, you know, and they're faithful. They, they're, every time the doors are open, they're at the church, and they have a horrible life. You know, at churches I've been at before, can I tell you something? I think half of them are going to hell. I do, and I'll tell you why I do, because I think they're jumping through hoops and not following Jesus. That's what I think. It's my opinion. I don't know. I'm glad I'm not the judge. I've had people tell me I'm going to hell and act like they're happy that it's happening. You ever have met anybody like that? They're like, you're going to hell. <laughs> I'm like, gosh, man, save me a seat. <laughs> Jesus, Scripture says this. It says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light in Matthew 1130. My yoke is easy. You know what a yoke is? A yoke is something that they would put on an ox. They would put it on, on an ox And the way they would do it is they would get an older, more mature ox and a young ox. and They would put the yoke on to keep it going straight down the middle of a field. But the stronger ox would do all the work and the younger ox would just follow along to keep it straight. Jesus is the older ox. We are just along for the ride. In the scriptures, what they would do is, is they would have these things. They would call it their yoke. Their yoke would be they would put scriptures on their arms of what they would have to do, and they would do all these things. They would have these yokes, and they would wear those clothes. Out. The religious people would wear these clothes. You know, look at how pious I am. I do all these things. These scriptures you're reading, I do all these things. That's who they were. And Jesus said this. He said, listen, my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Do you know who puts the burden on you? You do. You do. You do. You put the burden on you. Does that mean that life's not going to get hard? No, it's not. It means life is going to be hard. So Jesus said that too. You're going to have trials. But he also said this, I'm not going to leave you alone. You're not going to be alone. Listen, a lot of, all of us have to do hard things sometimes. Sometimes. We have to make hard decisions sometimes. We've had things that have happened to us in the past where we have to do the hard work to get past what someone else has done. But my question for you would be this. How many more days are you going to allow what happened in your past to affect what's happening right now in your present and in your future? How many more days? God is a God of, of love. He's someone who loves you. And he doesn't want to put a burden on you. If your walk is a burden, you're probably walking with the wrong person. You're not walking with Christ. And when tough things happen, you cling to him. That's what happens. The second one is this. Is it an obligation or is it your desire? Is it an obligation or desire? It's so interesting that Galatians 5.2 says that it is of no use of you if you go back and start following the rules. Can I tell you something about the rules? I don't think you guys understand how pious and religious and, and, and dogmatic and, and just absolutely stern that the religious people were. Get this. They weren't supposed to work on the Sabbath, right? They weren't supposed to work on the Sabbath. They had over 600 rules, 600 rules just for what is and what is not work on the Sabbath, 600 rules. See, what they did is they took a general principle that God gave us to take a day off a week and rest Please do that, by the way. You will be amazed how well your weeks will go if you will take one day off and don't cut the yard and rest. And don't go to the grocery store and hang out because that's stressful. I don't know why they have 18 lines, 18 cashiers, and two people working. All right? I heard there was 14 Walmarts that closed down and 12 people lost their jobs. I mean, you know what I'm saying? 12 cashiers lost their jobs. You hear that? 14 Walmarts shut down and 12 cashiers lost their jobs. I mean... Listen, I don't know why they do that, but it's stressful. It is. It's stressful. Take a day off and do whatever you want to once a week. Someone you may say, well, we can't do that. Well, if you're too busy then. But they took that and they added, Oh, no, no listen, if your ox falls in a ditch, you can't go get it until the next, until until the next morning. You have to leave it there. And you can't have but so many footsteps. You can only walk so many footsteps. Or that's work. Or you can't and on and on and on and on and on. And people were doing it not out of desire, but out of an obligation. Let me ask you a question. For those parents out there, when you're raising your kids... What's your ultimate desire? What's your desire for your kids? You want them to be upstanding citizens, right? You want them to listen to what you tried to teach them, and you want them to walk that out, don't you? But let me ask you a question. Do you want them to do that out of some strict obligation to you? Or do you want them to do that because it's who they are? It's it's who you have helped with God's help to create them to be. Which one do you want? Do you want them to have a desire not to go out and do the wrong things? Or do you want it to be some kind of moral obligation because in the back of their mind, they're thinking, if my daddy finds out about this, he'll kill me. And I know some of y'all college kids that are home this weekend have already thought that, so don't even go there. But haven't, which one do you want? Which one do you want? Can I tell you what I want? I want my kids to do it out of a deep-seated desire and a moral compass that they have, not out of some strict code obligation. I had, a, I had a parent of mine one time that came to me and said, well, I need your opinion on something. I've done something, and I think I was wrong. So, what'd you do? Well, my daughter started smarting back to me, and I whooped her tail. I was like, well, that'd be all right, but she's 17. <laughs> yes, what you did was wrong. If she ain't got it by 17, she probably ain't getting it. What do you want? Why do you put in the effort that you do with your kids so that they'll fear you or respect you? God's the same way. As a matter of fact, let me say this. If you only go through the motions... And are obedient to God, like I was throwing those. Let me, can I say you something? I was driving down the road listening to Sandy Patty, but in my head, I was singing Love Bites by, his, by Def Leppard. It's amazing. I said, you know, that Sandy Patty song kind of sounds like, you know, Ariel Speedwagon. A friend of mine told me a story. He said this. He said, he, uh, he had two nephews, and the father and him were driving, and the nephews were in the back seat. And he told the one, two boys, he said, hey, listen, you boys need to sit down and buckle up. And he said, one of the boys buckled up, and the other one didn't do it. He said, I'm not going to buckle up. You need to sit down and buckle up. If, and I know you guys have never said this, and I haven't either. If I have to stop this car, I will stop it. Now sit down and buckle up. And the boy finally buckled up. When they got there, the one boy who had buckled first, he got out and ran off and took off running. But the other boy, unbuckled, got out and looked at his dad and said, Dad, I know I buckled up, but in my mind, I was unbuckled all the way. What do you want? What do you want for your kids? Can I tell you something? It's what God wants for you. He doesn't want you to do things out of some strict obligation. He wants you to have a desire to do them. He wants you to have a desire to do them, and he doesn't want to be a burden on you either. He wants to bring you joy and to bring you happiness and to bring you peace. That's what he is. That's why they call him the Prince of Peace. Can I ask you a question? What kind of good news is it If the only good news he brings you is religion, it's no good news at all. I love what Matthew chapter 11 says. This is the message version. The message is a paraphrase. I don't read the message version to study and anything like that. I I, I use it, you know, situations like this where it's a paraphrase of the scriptures, okay? Don't use it to study. You can read it as a reading, you know, to read, but don't use it to study. Here's what it says. It says, are you tired or worn out? You burned out on religion. Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. And this is the part I absolutely love. This is, I love this. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. We would do ourselves a huge favor if we would learn the unforced rhythms of grace. What does that mean? I've told you what grace is. Grace is what what you should have done and what you did do. That in the middle is grace. That's what it is. What you should have done and what you did do, right in the middle, that's grace. We should follow Christ, not out of some kind of strict obligation, but out of desire, out of, you know what's interesting? This is what's interesting to me. I've been talking about music for a little bit. Let me tell you the, the rest of the story. When I was growing up, I used to listen to foul music. When I say foul music, I'm talking about foul music. You guys ever look back and think, where the heck were my parents? Who were my parents at? I listened to horrible music. But can I tell you something? When I threw those cassette tapes away, they I wasn't really bad music. I mean, Ariel Speedwagon, some of those guys, I had stopped listening to that foul music. You know why I'd stopped listening to it? Because it made me feel kind of dirty. It had become a desire of mine not to listen to all that stuff. And so when I threw those tapes away, that was obligation. But the other stuff, that was was the desire. And as I continued to grow, I began to weed out a lot of the music that I listened to. I did. I weeded some of it out and threw it away. I didn't listen to it anymore. But it wasn't because I thought I was going to go to hell. You ever been told that? You're going to go straight to hell. Pound the pulpit. It wasn't that. You know what it was? It was like, you know, God, I don't want to pour this junk into my spirit anymore, man. I don't want to do that. You know? And isn't it amazing how you can memorize those dirty songs but you can't memorize scripture? You forget the grocery list, but, man, you're going to know everything the two live crew says, right? Are you with me? Are you with me? That's just a fact. It's a fact. I have no idea why, but it's a fact. But I stopped listening to that junk out of desire. It was an obligation. And it was amazing because the closer I got to this loving father that I realized who he was, the closer I got to him, the more I wanted and had a desire to do what was right. Deep down in my soul, I had a desire to do what was right. And it wasn't an obligation. And it wasn't like trying to pull teeth. It wasn't like trying to, it wasn't difficult I had a desire to do what was right. And can I tell you something? That, that is exactly how God wants you to be as well. He doesn't want you. He doesn't want you to try to perform, and he doesn't want you to do things out of some obligation. If you're doing things, if you're acting the right way, eventually, guess what's going to happen? You're going to fall flat on your face. Why not? Be real with them, as our church says. Why not be who you are and say, God, here is my starting point. Now, God, I don't want to stay here, but here is my true starting point. It's not over here where I have faked it, where I've told people I was, where I've tried to act all holy. God, here is who I really am. And this is who I want you to start with on here. You know, I have an anger problem. I have this problem. I have that problem. Here's who I am. God, tell me what I need to do. Bring people in my life to show me what I need to do. Speak to me through your word on what I need to do. That is who God is, and that's who he wants you to be. And that's why we call it Real Church. And so if that's who you want to be, I'd like to welcome you home. And I'll tell you this, we'll promise we will walk with you in that process. How do you view God? Are you going to stay free? I don't know. But I can tell you this, if you're doing things out of obligation instead of desire, if you're doing things because it's burdensome on you and you feel some kind of you know, greatness because you've done these difficult things for God. God's not impressed. You may be, but he's not. He's more impressed, not with the man that came and gave the huge amounts, but with the lady that said, I surrender all. That's what he's impressed with. Let me pray for you today. God, we love you. And we thank you and we praise you, Lord. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for the fact that you, God, give us and you want us to have a life that's lived freely, not burden-free per per, per se, not, not without problems, but you want us to know that you are right there with us as those problems occur. And God, you want us to know that you will walk with us and carry us if needed. You will send people that will love us and that will love on us and put up with our junk. God, that's what you want us to have. You want us to have those people, Lord, and we love you for that. Lord, my prayer is, is that if people here see God the wrong way, that you would speak clearly to them and show them exactly who you are. And God, my, 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 Hope and desire for the people that are here is that they will take just one little step towards you because the closer they get to you, the more their desires are for what you want them to have. Man, if they could just experience you, God, if they can just get a glimpse and a touch of you, just like the lady that was healed, if you could just... Get a glimpse or just a little bit of his robe, man. They're going to be overwhelmed by who you are. Lord, we love you and we thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.